I've got Doug Feinberg here to discuss what we've learned about the future of women's basketball from the 2022 World Cup in Sydney, Australia. The Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast starts now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm Jackie Powell. I'm one of your Friday hosts this fall. I cover the New York Liberty here at The Next, and I help with our social media strategy, and I cover women's basketball nationally at Bleacher Report. We want to thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the 2022 World Cup and what made it different, what major issues we saw arise from it, and how the 2022 World Cup informs us on what the women's basketball or the pro women's basketball calendar looks like in the future. And it looks like it's going to change. And so here I have on um, with me Doug Feinberg of the Associated Press. He was there live in Sydney, Australia for the two-week extravaganza, which was the 2022 World Cup. So, Doug, my first question for you is, you've covered many World Cups. What made this one different from all those that you've covered before? Well, Jackie, thanks for having me. Um, What made it different? I guess the biggest thing I noticed was they've actually put more resources and such into the women's world cup, which I think made it a better experience for everybody, the fans, the players, the coaches, the media. Um, they had cool intros for the quarterfinals on having this, the smoke machines and players running out through the tunnel, which I thought was pretty cool. They had a fan fest outside, which I hadn't seen before, which I thought was pretty neat. So that they made just a better experience for everyone off the court on the court. It was, it was, I mean, it was, I wouldn't say it was the best basketball I've seen. It, there were a lot of not competitive games, unfortunately. Um, we can get to that later on, the rest factor, and I think players were tired and that affected a lot of things. But it, it was a great experience, and the, the crowd was awesome. For most of the games, they had the biggest attendance ever for a World Cup, and that's playing with four less games than they've played in the past, with only 12 teams competing in this race. 12 teams, so probably more than four games. My, my math is a little off still on Australia time, so to speak, but uh, it, it definitely was one of the better World Cups I've been involved in the last since 2010. So I guess it was my uh, fourth World Cup. Yeah, that math I got right. So fourth World Cup is the best that I've been a part of. 
I love that. I love that. Yes, we will talk about the the concept of rest later in the show as one of those quote unquote problems that we saw arise. But I could even tell from just watching if it was the ESPN Plus or the ESPN stream or some of those YouTube streams that these crowds were really engaged. And so again, this whole concept of no one watches women's basketball or no one cares you know, that's that's a myth in the United States, but that's also a myth around the world. Yeah, I mean, they had, as I said, I think it was 145,000 fans for the entire tournament. They had a sellout of just about 16,000 for the gold medal game. The, the best game of the tournament for fans, and it was competitive and it was exciting, was actually the China-Australia uh, semifinal game where you had 12,000, 13,000 fans there but the first time I've ever experienced it at a World Cup, and honestly in many basketball games, it was basically a 50-50 split. There was just constant noise, cheering, no matter what happened on the court. So that to me was cool. Like It was loud. It was exciting. The players got into it. It was just a fun, fun atmosphere because you had fans who were cheering for both teams. So it wasn't like one-sided fandom, which you see obviously a lot of games in the U.S. or other places, the Olympics, where there's one dominant fan base and they sort of overshadowed everybody else. This was really 50-50. The Chinese fans really showed out for their team, who obviously had a great run to the silver medal, and obviously the Australian fans were there cheering their home team. So it really made for an unbelievably incredible atmosphere that I'm not going to forget anytime soon. Man, I so I did not stay up and watch that one, but I woke up and I saw what happened, and I was like, oh, gosh, I need to watch this game. Um, because of what the unstoppable force Han Shu was able to do in that game. Which brings me to my next question, which we will talk about USAB in a moment. But I first wanted to know, what international players impressed you the most? And, and who do you think really will make a splash in the eyes of WNBA talent evaluators? I mean, the one you mentioned, Han Shu, was incredible for the entire tournament until the gold medal game when the U.S. did what the U.S. does. But, I mean, she she had low post moves. She had three-pointers. She had everything. And she had the crowd eating out of the palm of her hand. I mean, she was had MVP chance for her. It, Han was just awesome. I mean, it's what every Liberty fan dreams Han can be. Han did in that tournament. And, and she was great. She was seeing her smile all the time. She was just an awesome player. And was really, really someone I was impressed with. I mean, the whole Chinese team was really impressive in the entire tournament. Um, but Han Han really had a, a special run for the, the eight games they played. It was so funny because what I would do is if I missed the games, I would watch the press conferences. And so to see Sandy Brondello sort of do her little shtick where she says, oh, I coached that player and, you know, I'm glad that they played so well, but why did she have to play so well against us? Um, I'm sure in the moment it hurts so much, but I just wonder if Sandy thinks, wow, like if, if this is what Han can do at the World Cup, imagine what she could do in a Liberty uniform, you know, years in years ahead, really. Yeah, I mean, the... the- the biggest thing Han needs to still do is put on about probably 10 to 15 pounds of muscle uh, yep. to make her able to play the WNBA. I mean, listen, the, the U.S. game when she was able to get pushed around by Asia, Brianna, 
Brianna, that makes a difference. So the international game is more finesse and more outside and, and there wasn't the other big bodies to cause her um, issue from most of the other teams. But she showed, I mean, she showed great flashes that we saw this season for her in New York, where she comes in, she came off the bench for China and was like, basically she played the second quarter, um, Lee played the first quarter, and then you see what happens for the second half. But she definitely showed great flashes of brilliance, and I think Liberty fans should be very excited for her future. Because, again, she's very young, so it's not like she's like a 28-year-old veteran where, okay, you know what she's going to do. So she definitely has a very bright future for her in the WNBA and internationally for China. I'll never forget when Sandy said that Olaf, um, her husband, an assistant coach on the Liberty and assistant coach on the Opals, was working with her doing similar drills that he had done with BG. And she said, oh, Han was picking them up quicker than even BG did. So we'll have to see. Um, And on the the USA side, um, I'm curious what you thought of this team and its vibes. Um, You were with them in Tokyo. I mean, I know that was a night and day experience, I'm sure, because of COVID protocols. And now here you are with them in 2022 um, in Sydney. What was the, the difference in how this team felt? The result was the same, a gold. Well, I think you you mentioned something important, Jackie. I mean, with COVID in Tokyo last year, no one had a good time because you couldn't do anything. So they were basically locked in the hotel for two weeks, and that takes a mental strain on anybody. So in previous Olympics I've been to, players are out and about. They're going to other events. They're doing things that they should enjoy that um, basically would be something where they can sit there and enjoy the Olympics. In Tokyo, all they could do was basically just sit there and sit in the hotel room. Here in Australia, they had a chance to actually do other things. So it actually made it a little better for them, I think, to have the ability to walk around the Sydney Olympic Park and do things that are important to having good mental health. The vibe of the team, I mean, they're young. There are so many new faces on the team, fresh faces. That makes a difference where they actually can enjoy themselves and get to know the experience and be part of USA Basketball which is important for them. They just liked each other. I mean, it seemed, everyone seemed to have a good time. Um, they enjoyed each other's company. It was a defensive team more than ones in the past. Um, the sense that you have Kalia Copper and you have uh, obviously Alyssa Thomas, who are great defenders. And obviously you get on the roster, they all are pretty good defenders. So I think it made a difference that Cheryl's identity wanted to be, hey, we're a really good athletic defensive team. And they show that in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the youth that contributes definitely uh, to the the quote unquote vibes and having beautiful Australia in the background. Um, it was quite remarkable how Cheryl she took the pressure in stride. I mean, there was a lot of pressure on Cheryl Reeve this year, being the the first time head coach of USAB and also trying to give Sylvia Fowles a season that she would remember. And obviously, since they didn't, the Lynx didn't get a, a final playoff run for Sylvia Fowles, um, I'm sure she felt uh, that pressure there as well. Um, we are going to take our first break. Um, we will come back and talk about 
some of the issues that not only USA basketball ran into, but all the international teams ran into during the World Cup. Um, So I'm not really into sports betting, but I do see how important it is when you look at a sport and its growth and how fans are connecting to it and become more and more engaged. It's a tool that I believe will fuel women's basketball in the years to come. But anyway, let's talk about betonline.net, which is your number one source for football betting this fall. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles on analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for your sport wagering info with live betting, up-to-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check on your favorite games and events including MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, NFL, WNBA, even World Cup play. Um, Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we are back. Thank you again for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Now, before we move on to discuss some of the issues that maybe plagued some of the play at the World Cup, make sure you check out the ultimate men's pro basketball preview starting on October 10th. So I believe it's important that we specify who we are talking about here, as a pro basketball preview could be about Women's Euro League or Women's Euro Cup or even Team USA at the 3 by 3 which if you do want to read about Team USA competing at the 3x3, the U23 World Cup, I recommend reading Isabel Rodriguez's second edition of the Morning Post-Up on thenexthoops.com. She explains all you need to know, and she talks about how Lexi Hull is killing it at U23. But anyway, get ready for a sixth episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NBA season local team experts, and the NBA insiders of the Locked On Podcast Network and Audacity, all combining into one ultimate MNBA preview. Starting on October 10th, search for Ultimate Pro Basketball Preview 2022 on your Audacity app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So, Doug, there was a moment that was absolutely fascinating. It happened in a postseason press conference. It was after Serbia came up a bit short against the Australian Opals. And you got to talk to Serbian head coach uh, Marina Malkovic. And she went on a couple of rants that were absolutely fascinating. So you were there in the room. Take me through what she said and and what that was like and the emotion that you felt during this moment. Well, Jackie, I think you should also mention she's the Fenerbahce coach, I believe, uh, Mm -hmm. overseas. So she has more than just Serbia interests in mind. She coaches one of the top teams that has, I think, Brianna Stewart on it now for the overseas season. So just to give a little background of who she is more than just the Serbian coach, she has – a very, very good international team that she coaches in the, in the Turkish league. Um, 
I forget what the impetus of it was. Who's what the? I think it might have been her opening statement, or someone asked a question about it. But basically, she said that the players were tired because they've been playing year round, and that it's really not good for anybody. Um, and she didn't have a solution for it, but just thought, hey, you know, we're not seeing the best of everybody. We're seeing a good tournament here, but you had WNBA players, and there were twenty seven that played in the in the um, World Cup. If my number memory's not failing me right now. Um, so there were 27 WNBA players who basically had little rest to no rest between the end of their season and the World Cup play. and Or they went to play for the national teams for practice getting up to the World Cup. There's just a little rest or no rest at all. And she wasn't a big fan of that. And understand, and she has players, and she was saw their fatigue, saw the fatigue on players across the, the tournament. So she just voiced her opinion that, hey, you know, we got to do something different here because we're not getting the best at everybody. And that's not good for anybody. So that that's kind of what her, her point was. And it's a good point. I mean, listen, you had three uh, Liberty players, sorry, three Aces players who won the, the WNBA title, who literally went to their parade, got on a flight that night, got off the plane. Uh, Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum got off uh, a little earlier than Asia Wilson's flight was delayed went there. I mean, I took that flight twice going back and forth. It's not a fun flight. It's 15 hours going down, 13 and a half hours going back. So there's that fatigue. And then they go play again the next day. And that's not easy to do for anybody. And that's, the, I guess, the worst case scenario that they had at the parade and then came down. Uh, Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Jones were a couple days removed from that because they obviously lost in the finals with Connecticut. So it just wasn't good. There's was no rest. John Cole Jones, another one who had a horrific I think 40 hours of flying, she said to me. It was like Connecticut to Atlanta to Fiji to uh, Australia. So it, it just wasn't good for anybody. And, and fatigue was an issue. Rest was an issue. And it just didn't make for great basketball for anybody from that standpoint. So that's what Marina's point was, a long answer to it. But just there was the lack of rest. And, and she thought that it could be better for everyone if there's more time between seasons and the World Cup happening. And – her point is well taken because when you have no rest, what that leads to, or I don't want to say no, because no is an absolute. When you have limited rest, what that tends to lead to is that leads to injury. And what did we see? We saw Emma Mieseman was injured during the World Cup. Emma Mieseman will be playing for Marina in Fenerbahce. Um, I'm not sure if Emma is going to be out for the first couple of months, because I know that Fenerbahce just signed Natasha Howard for, I believe it's a two month contract. Their rules in Turkey are not the same as the U S I don't think they have a salary cap. So that may be independent of Emma not being able to play, or maybe they just wanted someone else. I don't know what that situation is. But Emma also wasn't the only player who was on roster and was injured in the middle or leading up to the tournament. Marine Johannes, a guard for, for France. And France, that was definitely a team that was, people thought maybe should have been in the medal rounds. And they came up short. You had Gabby Williams trying to I guess, anchor that team. And, you know, Gabby Williams had a remarkable season in the W, but she clearly needed help. Um, so when you have that limited rest, it, it leads to injury. And then, of course, you had Rebecca Allen, who was absolutely 
smushed and was injured once again. Um, it seems like she can never get the the um, favorable luck that she needs to have um, the type of play that she wants. And so, Doug, you were watching these players live. Did you feel like um, they they looked fatigued? What what did you what did you see? I mean, the one who really looked the most fatigued was John Quell, hmm. but she also had the most asked of her. I mean, Bosnia had their first tournament and they had a rough one. They were winless and John Quell had to basically do everything for them. And you could just tell she looked tired from all the travel, all the wear and tear of the WNBA season, reaching the finals and then having to go basically carry her team in the, in the world cup. So she's the one, and she even said she was exhausted. Um, to me and to uh, Alex Philip, who of ESPN, we were hanging out in the mix zone with her. But the other ones, I mean, listen, the U.S. has been known for its depth since 96 and before that. I mean, they, they always have 12 best players uh, on their team, and they can just bring in waves of players, and no one playing more than 20 minutes a game or 25 minutes, so they don't have that fatigue factor. So you, the thought of, oh, how could they do that um, play a whole full season, win the finals, and go on and play um, right away. They were more able to have time to rest their bodies and not be as taxed in the games early on. I mean, playing eight games in 10 days is not easy, even if you had full rest and weren't playing WNBA season. So that schedule is not great either for them. And, and they said that won't happen again. But it's John Cole is the main one. I mean, Gabby had a phenomenal tournament. I'm sure she was tired as well. Um, but she she didn't really show it. Um, the injuries you mentioned obviously were not good. I mean, Emma getting hurt, Becca getting hurt. I mean, there are different types of injuries. I think Becca getting smushed was not a fatigue thing. It just was a, a freak play. Ka getting hurt also. I mean, uh, Yvonne Anderson was trying to draw a charge and just was landed awkwardly. That, again, I don't think is a fatigue thing. It just happened. The fluke play got hurt. Um, same thing, Benajah Laney came back afterwards the next game, but she went down after a – uh, hard fall. Those to me aren't fatigue injuries. Those are just injuries that happen in the course of basketball. Whereas Beck Allen's, I think, tweaked her uh, ankle right before she went back in and, and got hurt for the ribs. And again, Emma with her calf, that could be a fatigue thing. Again, I, I saw her leave the court. I didn't see the actual play where she potentially got hurt. So th there's different types of injuries, but you're right. The, the fatigue did not help anybody. And I said the gameplay, I think, was hurt by it more. You had more blowouts than I think I've seen in the past because I think teams just didn't want to sort of make their players play longer than they needed to, knowing the game was out of hand and why you have a get, live, live to fight another day, so to speak, because they had a game the next day. So why play somebody longer for really no reason? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I just remember watching both of those comments from, from Marina, and you followed up and you said, well, What's the solution here? And as you said earlier, she didn't really have one. And But what she did talk about is she said that there are, she talked about the, the right people having to sit down and make some decisions and the, the proper stakeholders have to sit down and, and make some decisions. And so in our next segment, we are going to talk about how do we fix this problem? How do we ameliorate this issue with scheduling and how potentially could things even continue to change in the future? 
Um, so now let's let's shift to that third segment. So what I want to know is, I don't know if you saw it or if you remember it, but during Marina's rant, she she gave such a dramatic eye roll when she mentioned the WNBA. She just, how tight these schedules are, and it, it really uh, annoys her. And she even talked about how, oh, the WNBA is set to expand and to a typical fan's ear, you think, oh, WNBA expansion. No, that's not what she's talking about. She's talking about how the WNBA calendar and the schedule is going to expand. So I guess what I want to know from you, Doug, is why do these tensions exist? And why don't we see this on the men's side between FIBA and the international leagues and... Uh, the U.S.? That's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is the NBA is so established that the best players in the world play in the NBA. So it's been around for 76 years now, I think, or 75, whatever season they're entering right now, um, which makes a difference, whereas the W is only in, I think, his 27th year is coming up. So there's that just difference in age and how long leagues have been established. And around the world, they're, they're, I mean, listen, the World Cup, um, basically, Secretary General said, we've been around 70 years next year. The World Cup's its 70th anniversary, and there's nothing compares to that as far as length goes. So, basically, the season should begin and end with the World Cup, which, in their mind, makes sense. The foreign leagues, they pay more money. They've been around for a while, some of them, that, hey, it starts and ends with us. So, everyone wants their little piece of the pie or their big piece of the pie and I think it's tough to argue that the against the WNBA has the best players in women's basketball playing for them. I mean, around the world, it's more difficult to win a game, whether it's no offense to Indiana. They were the weakest team this year in Indiana Vegas game as the best and worst team could be competitive on any given night. If they play a hundred times, there are some games Indiana is going to win in some of these foreign leagues. I remember in Russia players have told me this, and I know they're not playing there anymore this year because of the Brittany Griner situation, the war in Ukraine. But there are days they know they're going to win the game by 60 points. No matter what happens, they're playing in teams that are not very good. So it's kind of like the college situation where sometimes teams play teams they know they're going to blow out pretty easily. So there isn't the, hey, we could lose this game. So there are games they can take nights off. The W, you can't do that. So a compact schedule where you had 36 games or 40 games next year in a three-month window, there's no nights you can really take off. So you can't just sit there and go, hey, we got an easy game on our schedule. We don't have to play hard today or we don't have to play. You do that, you're going to lose, and that's going to make a difference. Whereas in the foreign leagues, there are games you can sort of take off, so to speak, or know you're going to have an easier time with. So it makes it easier that you can get some rest that way. So – Everyone wants their piece of the pie. Some leagues are better than others. The W is the most talented league, top to bottom. So I think that's where there's sort of the conflict. Like everyone wants their their thing, and yeah, if all the stakeholders got in the same room, you probably have one giant argument. So you need somebody to sort of moderate it and and, and solve it. I'm not sure who that person is right now because um, everyone has their own interest in mind. But that's the big underlying issue here, the overlying issue of everyone wants their piece of the pie. No one wants to give up more. And no one's sitting there to go, hey, let's make this work for everybody. And that's what they need to do. 
I feel like this is a good old fashioned political science prisoner's dilemma. Like maybe something that I'm going to do if in some spare time I have is do one of those um, prisoner's dilemma uh, charts, because I think that this totally applies. Um, this is like you've got different countries, different, you know, leaders of the different stakeholders with what they want. And and it's a, a bit of a tug of war at the moment. I asked Kathy Engelbert about this during her state of the league at the WNBA finals. And she didn't, she wasn't really able to say much. All she sort of wanted to say was that, well, we shrunk our season to make sure that all of our players would be able to play in the World Cup. She seemed to communicate that she felt like the WNBA, they held up their their share of the bargain. But it's like, we don't even know what everyone else is bargaining. It's like FIBA and the rest of the world, as you said, they can say, oh, well, we've been around the longest. The WNBA then can say, well, we have the most talent and we have the best players. And so... I just wonder how are these tensions addressed? And Howard, a, you know, one of the hosts of the show and a good friend of both of ours, brought up a really fascinating potential solution. And I want to run it by you. I want to hear what you have to say and even think of potential solutions. I'm, I'm really curious about this. So Howard, and this was something that Howard spoke about on yesterday's show. He talked about the fact that for the gold medal game, there were under a half a million people who watched that gold medal game in the United States at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific, almost half a million people. So you think, oh, maybe there was some cross-promotion during the WNBA finals and the playoffs of the World Cup. Maybe that's why. I don't think there was any cross-promotion. Yes, there, 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 was, there was none. And so Howard's idea is, if you were able to get under a half a million people watching that gold medal game, then what do you think would happen if... Both parties promoted and helped each other. I wonder. I really wonder. And what could happen is you see, and I think Howard compared this to the Women's World Cup of 2015 on the soccer side. And what you saw there is you saw Megan Rapino on The Simpsons because Fox, of course, was airing the World Cup. You did that cross-promotion. And so it's a really fascinating idea. And, you know, imagine if, if FIBA is able to rake in more dollars from more people watching their product. So, Doug, is that a potential solution? And if not, what are some of your other thoughts? Well, Jackie, I mean, it's, it's a help. I don't think that's a solution in the sense that cross money gets more eyes on it but it doesn't solve the issue of timing, which is the rest issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting more eyes on it is a great thing for everybody. Obviously, this was the, the most difficult World Cup to have eyes on because we're 14 hours ahead in Sydney. So it was two in the morning, three in the morning that the gold medal games and the bronze medal games, semifinal games were on. So the timing wasn't good for anybody that way. And it was impressive that 
nearly half a million people were watching the gold medal game because I was up there and it was four in the afternoon for me and it was only two in the it was two in the morning on the East Coast, which for you, which was not a fun, I'm sure, get up or stay awake or however else you did it. So Howard's idea is good, but I don't think it gets to the crux of the problem of how you fix the timing of it. Um, I think the world teams, and I'm putting a little bit of an educated guess here, think they're giving up windows in February for training when they normally have their seasons. So that's their give back in a sense of, hey, the W ends their season earlier. Well, we're giving up time in February for teams to work, for players to work with their national teams that we saw this past year when the U.S. had training in, in D.C. for the pre-World Cup uh, qualifying tournaments. So I think that's their give back in their mind. If we're sort of, what are we giving here and there? We haven't mentioned prioritization, which obviously can be an issue for the WNBA this upcoming seasons and seasons that go on that they think the W is taking more from them, the international uh, teams and, and the leagues. So I'm not sure. I mean, the, the, the world cup's aware of it. I mean, they, the, I asked the question at the, the FIBA secretary general um, press conference about the rest in the, in the tournament. I mean, playing eight games in 10 days is not easy for anybody. Having no rest between the quarter semis and finals doesn't help anybody. Uh, Andrea said that they're not going to have that again. They're going to have a rest day built in that they used to have, I think, between the quarters and semis. So that gives it now eight days, eight games in 11 days. We're going back to 16 teams, add more time to this. Um, if they can throw another rest day, and that would be good as well. Um, but the, the overarching issue is when you have it. And I asked the question, I said, hey, are we locked in? He said, yes, it will be in September 2026, which we have the same problem, where you have the WNBA season being right up against it. And the Olympics, they take that month-long break, which seems to work well in a sense for the Olympics. But again, you sort of lose some of the steam of the WNBA by having a, one, a month break in between the, the important part of their season. So I don't have a solution right now, I'll be honest. I mean, I can come up with ideas, but – someone has to give or everyone has to give a little something for this to work. And I'm not sure what the best way to do it is. I mean, maybe you could try doing it in the spring before the WNBA season. Try, I think they used to do that. And like April, maybe right after the final four is over, you have that April window before the W starts. That's when the, the foreign leagues are getting into their um, playoff tournaments, the Euro league, all that stuff's going on. So maybe you could push the WNBA season back a month and start the end of May, like Memorial Day weekend, start off the W um, as their kickoff weekend, which I think they've done a couple times. That mm. everything back and maybe that works out. And again, a little give by the international leagues to make things end earlier. The W starts a little later. You have that window in there, sign up, sort of getting everyone excited for the end of one season, beginning of another. Maybe that works. Um, I'm not sure how thrilled the W League teams would be of potential injuries that could happen in the World Cup, although I think if there's more rest, as we've talked about, maybe that works. But that, that's just an idea. I mean, again, there are so many stakeholders here that with so many different interests for themselves, you need someone to step in and be the one to go, hey, we need to sort of get everyone on the same page here to make this calendar work. Or we're going to keep burning players in the ground, and that's not good for anybody. Yeah, that's that's a great point, which brings me to one of the last points I wanted to hit on with you before we we sign off and preview what tomorrow's podcast is going to be. And and that point is what would an ideal WNBA look like? When are the months when the WNBA should be on 
and where potentially could it extend? I'll tell you what I've been thinking, and then I will I will ask your thoughts. I've thought about the fact that you sort you want the WNBA to stretch from spring right through the fall. You don't want it to end sort of where we are now, where there's this dead period, this gap. You want it to potentially maybe run through early November. So you have a the shortest quote-unquote dead period that you can have. Uh, the league, I think, has done a better job at addressing that in the past few years because you have this big free agency period, which that's what brings the eyes back onto the WNBA. And then once you've had that free agency period, then you pay attention to the end of the college seasons, the conference tournaments, then you have March Madness, and then poof, you're into the draft. But there's always been this dead period in like the fall to early winter that's really hard for the WNBA to navigate. So I'm curious, the the league is going to expand to 40 games. What should the future of the WNBA calendar look like? Well, Jack, that's a good idea. I mean, if they can go a couple more weeks than they normally are, that's good for the W. Again, you have the international issue of teams starting their play and people have to make choices, so to speak. Although once the new TV deal happens in a couple of years, maybe there's more money or there will be more money thrown in the WNBA, so maybe less players have to go overseas, but that's a whole nother conversation. But mm-hmm. to answer your question, I mean, I think going till the middle of October the or late October at least is a good idea. Um, I know there were issues. People complained about when the finals games were. They were on NFL Sundays. And again, that's a longer conversation. But I think you have to look at what they possibly could do. You can't go on Saturdays because ESPN, the college football deals, and they have free Sunday windows. And you have to play games at certain times. And you can't just go like back-to-back Tuesday, Wednesday, because that's not going to work so well. But that's a separate topic. But I think you have a good idea. I mean, if you can expand the season to the middle of October or at least maybe early November, that would be a, a good thing where you're not the start of the NFL season and such. That takes some of that pressure off, although you're in the middle of or the end of baseball playoffs so that there's that other sporting event that people are interested in. But it, I think the longer it goes, the better. It makes it less compact. There's less back-to-backs. The travel issues are better. So, yeah, if they could start in the middle of May and go through – the end of October or middle of October, that would be great for them to have a, 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 again, my math's a little off here. I think a five month season or whatever it would be, um, would be, I think a, a good chunk of time for them. And I think it makes it with a more teams and, and more games. It's more spread out, which I think will help them. Um, so yeah, I think you have a good idea there of going to end of October, early November before college hoops kicks off and it seamlessly goes one to the other. As sports writers, I'm not sure not going straight through is the best idea for us because, you know, you like to have a little bit of break between seasons and refresh your batteries and sort of think about, okay, we're going to turn, turn the page to the new season. But that's a small thing. I think that's a good idea to potentially go from May till end of October, potentially for the WNBA season. Yeah, I mean, the maybe a reason why those ratings were so good was because people were craving WNBA stars. I mean... As Howard said on yesterday's show, it was like Asia Wilson brought crowds of people to Las Vegas. And so those crowds of people wanted to continue to watch Asia Asia Wilson turn on the uh, World Cup gold medal game. Well, Doug, thank you so much 
for joining me for my first show uh, this fall. And um, we want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And so join us here tomorrow where Hunter Cruz will be back for our WNBA draft-themed show. He'll be looking at a potential lottery pick that y'all might not know a ton about yet, and that's J.C. Sheldon, a senior guard at Ohio State. Now make your second listen, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, or Fantasy Men's Basketball. Josh Lloyd hosts the number one daily fantasy men's basketball show on the planet. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all, and have a wonderful rest of your Friday.